Welcome to the Grazing Grass Podcast, Episode 2. Learning how to look at the cow, look for signs of performance, and keep them performing, that's how you're going to make money on grass. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping you produce forages for livestock grazing. Stay tuned and join our community at grazinggrass.com. I'm Cal Hardich, host of the Grazing Grass Podcast, and we're glad you're here today. On today's episode, we are talking with Jonathan Kilpatrick of Bent Tree Farms. Jonathan, welcome to the Grazing Grass Podcast. We're excited you're here today. Thank you, Cal. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your operation? Sure. So um, I manage Bent Tree Farms uh, down in south southeastern Oklahoma, and uh, we uh, we raise beef, lamb, and we do some pastured uh, chicken as well. We are grass finishing all our beef and lamb. Um, we're operating on 780 acres of uh, ground. It's a mix of open land, some heavily wooded, some just, you know, some brushy areas here and there. Um, so we also direct market all of our beef, lamb, and chicken. And we have a couple wholesale accounts, both for live animal sales. We've done some finished steers and cows, as well as uh, we uh, sell some seed stock from our sheep flock. So um, kind of a mix of everything. It's a it's a diverse pie, so to speak, of, uh, of marketing channels. So, so yeah, um, that's a quick summary. Yes. Now, you're located in southwest Oklahoma, or is it south central? South central, southeastern. Um, we're just 20 miles southeast of Ada. Oh, um, we're right in Cole County. Um, so, you know, about an hour from the Texas border. Very nice. What, what forages are you mainly grazing? In? Yeah. So we have, <laughs> I would say just about everything on the property. Um, I think I've started counting and I stopped at like, you know, 55 or 60 and I include, you know, forbs and what some people would call weeds, you know, trees. Cause I've seen cows eating trees. Um, so we have a mix of annuals, perennials, warm season, cool season. We have just about everything. Uh, right now, the warm seasons are really starting to take off um, over the last couple weeks. So crabgrass, uh, Bermuda, we have Johnson grass. We even found some big blue stem coming in last year. So that was super exciting to find. Um, what else am I missing? Um on the annual side or the cool season side, we have a lot of fescue, clovers, um, uh, let's see, ryegrass. Yeah, pretty much you name it, we've got it. What kind of rainfall do you all get there, annual rainfall? Yeah, we've already had probably over our normal annual rainfall. I think the last I looked, we're probably about 30, 35 inches for the year. Uh, we just got an inch and a half last week which was really needed. Uh, we're getting dry, but it's, it's like 35 to 40 inches of rainfall is what they say for us. Um, oh yes. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't typically come like very well spaced out. It seems to always come like, you know, six inches at a time, but we'll take what we can get. <laughs> yes. The rain here seems like we're so. getting, when it rains, we get inches, not, not tenths. And um, except it turned dry on us and we've been pretty right. dry without rain for, I'd say at least a month now. Yeah, it kind of 
it was raining a lot like up until about the middle of may and then it turned off and it started getting really dry so um but we caught a good rainstorm last week so we're doing okay well good good now you mentioned you've got lots of varieties of forages and fobs there do you plan anything or you're just managing it so you have a nice polyculture yeah so um I think we've kind of progressed through that. Um, When I first started here, we did a lot of planting. Um, We drill. We have a no-till, a Great Plains no-till drill, which is really, it's a good drill. Um, So we were doing a lot of like sorghum sedan, um, stuff like that. We've kind of just moved away from that to more of just the perennials. um, And we do drill in some ryegrass in the fall. But we tried everything, you know, we, we did some oats, we've done, you know, cover crop blends. And we've just found that as far as the, the time and the, uh, the resource, it just made more sense just to kind of manage what we have, focus on that. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty costly to plant. Oh, yes. Um, and then you're, you know wear and tear on equipment. And we just didn't find that when you penciled it out, it was really for us in our circumstance. Um, and with our, um, soils, it just wasn't, um, it wasn't giving us the return we wanted. So we just kind of moved away from that. And now, um, yeah, we've just kind of, we'll do some ryegrass in the fall. Um, and we've broadcast clover in a couple places. Um, but I feel like at this point, I mean, it's just management, just managing for what you want and just really paying attention and being careful and what you want will come in. And we've seen that, um, like this spring, we had some of the thickest clover I've ever seen. And this wasn't even, um, an area that we had broadcast clover. I think it was just the the year for clover or something. And I've talked to some other producers and they've said the same thing that it's a clover spring. So, uh, almost too much clover. Um, so (laughs) anyhow, so yeah, I agree. We, we suffered with tons of clover and I hate to say the word suffer because you want that clover, (laughs) but we had white Dutch clover everywhere. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I pulled some leaves off and like I had some leaves that were as big as my palm, like the three, you know, the set of the three leaves, I plucked some off and put them in my palm of my hand. They're huge. It was just, Oh yes. Yeah. It was a, it was interesting. Um, there are a couple times I even took some dry hay out there because the the animals were just really too much protein. It was just, it was crazy. So every year is different though. Yeah. So what kind of clovers do you have there? Well, um, we have like white clover. You mentioned Dutch white. I don't know. Um, I call it mammoth white or just white clover. Um, we have the stuff with the big leaves. I think that's the Dutch white. And then the, you know, smaller leafed white clover. Um, I found for the first time this spring, red clover coming in our bottom land, which was really exciting because if you're grazing a lot of fescue, the red clover has some, um, it really works with that Kentucky 31. It helps, uh, just, uh, dilute that, um, endophyte. So I was super excited to see the red clover coming in. We also have arrow leaf. Um, we have yellow hop. Um, let's see, sweet clover. I think those are the five main ones that we have. Um, yeah, five main, that's pretty much what we've got for clover. Yeah. So 
that's that's about the same what we have, except the white just was predominant this year. Normally, we have lots of arrow leaf and lots of red yeah. clover, but not so much this year. We've even tried doing crimson clover, but we've right. not had good luck with crimson. Yeah, we put some out. Um, I think it just blooms right so early. Right. We actually we have a little bit of that, but it came in on a hay bale because um, you can see it's like a strip about a hay bale width wide where we rolled out a hay bale and and that there it is. So um, it's really pretty, uh, but we don't have a ton of it. Oh yes. So. Now you mentioned you roll out hay bales. Yeah. So do you unroll all your hay when you feed? Um, so no, we roll. Well, yes and no. <laughs> I, I, I say, I will say it depends. So if it's dry, <laughs> I like to roll the hay out. Um, I think, uh, the, it's easier for our size herd to get for everybody to line up and get some hay. When it gets rainy, like it has the last two winters, we have gone to feeding in bale rings just to curb some of the wastage um, because there's been sometimes, I mean, last winter, oh. this past winter, and then the winter of, uh, well, 2018, 2019, it was so wet that you roll a hay bale out and it's it's gone into the mud in 10 minutes. So we just, uh, we buy a lot of our hay, so we just couldn't afford that. <laughs> oh, yes. So yes. Uh, we uh, stop rolling out when it gets really wet and we just go to rings and we just, that's the way we do it. Um, I really don't like the rings cause it's a little bit harder. I really like to roll it out. I really feel like the, uh, ground like responds quicker when you feed, when you roll it out, like, Oh um, yes. The bale ring. I think it takes like two years for you to see the good results of hay feeding with the bale ring. Um, but you know, you'll see results within four to six months when you roll it out. So I prefer to roll it out our size herd. Like, I mean, we've got, Oh, some winters we're feeding about 200 head and that includes calves plus sheep and they all stay together all winter. So it's just too many rings to deal with. So, Oh yes. And I have to agree. I've noticed whenever I use a ring, you know, that first year you just have that dead area where the hay is decomposing and then you get the ring of, of forages around it. But then it's that second year where you really get the nice growth back. Exactly. Yep. And I can show you, like if I took a, a a drone picture, you can see where we fed with rings and then you can see where you fed with uh, rolling it out, you know, little green strips. Oh, yes. So I do like the rings though. Like if there's an area where there's blackberries or some brush that I really want to kind of trample, I'll just even take a core. Like if I roll out a bale, I'll take a core and drop it right in the middle of there and the cows will just trample that out. And, uh, it's great. Oh yes. Um, and I'll take the rings and I'll try to place them strategically. You know, if there's some area, there's some exposed rock or something, we've got a ledge running right through the farm and there's a hillside with a lot of rock. So I've been tried to be pretty strategic about hay feeding on that and try to really fill in some of those areas. So the rings can be great for that. Um, if you really want some heavier, um, you know, applications of hay and manure, so to speak. <laughs> right. Yes. Now, before you start feeding hay, do you stockpile some forages for winter grazing? Yes, we do. So last winter was actually the first time we really made an effort to do it. Um, and it went really, really well. So we have about between 90 and 100 acres of bottomland, and it's predominantly uh, fescue, uh, fescue clover. Um, so what we did... 
Oh, yes. Is because we couldn't keep the cows off from like, say, August 15th till after a frost. And my goal was I wanted to get a couple heavy frosts on that fescue to really sweeten it up. Because in the wintertime, the cows eat the fescue like candy. In the summer, they tend to avoid it. So um, what we did is we, when we went, like, say, after September 1st, when we had to graze that, we just opened up the paddocks and gave them maybe twice as much. So they were skimming it, and they were hitting all the warm season stuff that was growing. And my goal was for them to not touch the fescue because I was trying to hold that. And uh, actually got that. I'll, I'll be honest. I got that tip oh, from yes. uh, Greg Judy does that. So um, that seemed to work really well. And we actually fed some hay for a couple weeks until we got some heavy frosts on a couple areas we wanted to hit early with some hay feeding um, so that we could maybe put some seed down like some ryegrass. We've done that and that works really well. And then uh, right before Thanksgiving, uh, we moved the cows down and um, we strip grazed that. Um, and what I ended up doing to try to stretch it because I wasn't, there's no way I was going to be able to, you know, if I had just grazed it off, we would have probably been done down there in three to four weeks, um, with all the animals. So what we did is we kind of gave them a strip as their protein supplement essentially, or allowance. And then we just would roll out some hay, like a bale or two or hay. And that worked really well. We saved, um, we saved a lot of money and we were grazing down there till I think the 5th of January. Uh, so I totaled up, you know, what we saved by doing that. And it was thousands of dollars. So that was really exciting and a lot of fun and the cows loved it and they did super well. So we're trying to figure out, I'm trying to figure out like how we can stretch that, um, without, you know, fertilizing or anything. Don't really want to spend money on that. But, um, so yeah, that was the, the, uh, extent of our stockpiling, but it was super fun. I would much rather set up a fence in January than roll out hay. Um, <laughs> oh, even though I we agree. did end up rolling yeah. out some hay, but yeah, so it was, it was fun. It's super fun. And if I could graze all winter long, I totally would. I would never start the tractor if I didn't have to. So, oh, um, yes, that's so, my goal. Yeah, yeah. I, I would yeah. love to graze year round, not worry about any hay. Now let's go back. You mentioned Greg Judy and I love his videos on YouTube and I'm so glad he started them. Um, you mentioned about grazing, yes, sending the yeah. cows through early and then coming back. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So because we don't have enough land to just, I know some people when they're stockpiling, like depending on the stockpile date, I know like in some parts of the country, it's August 15th, they'll say, okay, Anything after any rain you get after August 15th, that's a stockpile of rain. Don't come back on the grass until you're ready to graze it. We don't have that luxury uh, with the way our, our uh, business is set up and our farm set up. So I kind of have to go down and graze there. Otherwise, we'd be feeding a lot more hay. So what I did is instead of grazing and leaving oh, yeah. a typical residual, I would just lighten up the stock density and just try to get the cows to hit the warm season stuff and pretty much, you know, August, September, it's still pretty hot here. So they're not going to want to touch the fescue anyhow. So they'll graze off the Johnson grass. They'll hit the Bermuda, um, you know, whatever else is down there, crab grass. And then they kind of left the fescue behind and it kept growing. And then um, we fed some hay for a couple weeks. We got a couple hard frosts and it was like, okay, now it's, it's time to go. And I really think, you know, that really helped sweeten it up. And uh, I think the cows, I think it, it worked. I don't know what we'll do this year. If we'll uh, do the same thing, if we'll just go down and start grazing it off. I don't know. Um, it's something I'm still kind of learning. <laughs> so, yes, I, I know for, does that, 
Does that answer the question? It, it does. Just explain that a little bit more. I know we started um, stockpiling just a few years ago and doing that. And, and you know, my first year, I was really excited about the results. The second year was a little dry and I grazed my pastures a little late and I didn't have near the, the amount of stockpile forages I wanted. Then last year was just good year all year because we had so much rain. So Yes, last year was a great year. I'm going to try and do a better job this year, but I really love the stockpiling. Yeah. Now, do you do daily moves, not only yeah, with your was... stockpile, but also year-round? Yes, so we uh, do at least at least a daily move, if not sometimes two, three times a day. It really depends on the season where we're at on the farm um, time of like year, like in calving, I really try to avoid multiple day moves because we've got so many little calves. Um, so it, yeah, it, it's, we do all the above, I should say. Now I think you um, grass finish some beef. Do you keep them in a separate herd than your cow herd we do how do you do you manage them together yes so we do right now um we have a little finishing herd um yeah it's something i'm still uh, i guess i could go either way on it i'm not quite sure i guess there's a couple schools of thought there's some people that will say leave them all together and manage them as one herd and then you've got people who who will run multiple herds um, I feel like for the management aspect, um, when you've got 150 to 170 animals out there in one herd, uh, picking out your fattest animals can become a little bit like a needle in a haystack. Um, and I'm not saying like, not that you can't see them, but if you want to compare an animal to another animal, if they're not standing side by side, it's really hard. So like right now I've got nine steers uh, in a group. And I have a cow in there that had twins, so I'm just putting her with the grass fats just to give her a little bit more uh, nutrition to help support those twins. But I can compare those animals and like evaluate, okay, which ones are ready to go and a lot easier than if they're in a big herd of 180 animals. Um, oh, yes. It also logistically, logistically, it's easier to sort off, okay, I've got a haul to the processor. It's a little easier to sort off animals out of, a group of 10 or 20 or something than 170 or 150 or whatever. Um, I think also we also will flake some alfalfa to them um, just to give them a little boost, try to keep their dry matter intake up. We've just found um, we're still building our soils and our forages. And I think if we were willing to like give them all the time they needed, they would be fine in the main herd. Uh, but you know, we've got customers knocking down the door wanting beef. So oh, yes. at this point in the business, it just makes sense, I think, to uh, kind of push them a little and get them, as, get them to grow. Um, we were getting, last spring, I was doing a pretty, uh, pretty good job tracking weight gain and flaking a couple flakes of alfalfa, plus giving them basically all the grass they need, like once a day moves, just huge paddocks. We did some leader follower grazing as well. Oh, yes. Uh, we were getting three, three and a half pounds of gain a day. Oh, very nice. So, I mean, that's really good. Uh, I think for us, that's really good. Um, so, yeah, we manage them separately. You know, in the future, maybe we throw them all together. I don't know. Um, 
95% of the time it's, or 90% of the time it's just me here by myself. So when I need to load up cattle or, or work them, it's easy to work them as a smaller group. So, um, if I had a, you know, a second hand here a lot, maybe we just run them in a bigger group or something, but, uh, for our, for our system, it works pretty well. Right. And you, you've got to do whatever works for you. I, I tell people all the time we have good animals. Sometimes we sell because they just don't work for us. And, that's the cow that throws her head and goes the other way when I show up because I don't want to deal with it. I've got a a job off the farm. So when I get home to do it, I'm busy. (laughs) Now you mentioned, I think you mentioned earlier, you run the sheep with the cattle. We do. Are they bonded and stayed pretty well together or not at all? (laughs) Nope. And do you have like one wire for paddocks? Oh yeah. Um, so I don't know. I'm not like saying that there's some people that will say their sheep and cows stay together and I would love to see it because I've not seen it. Now that's not to say the sheep and the cattle won't graze together because they will, but typically our sheep like to get as far away from the cows as possible. Um, we have, we have, uh, you know, livestock guardian dogs with them, obviously, if we didn't, we wouldn't have sheep probably because the coyotes would take oh, them out. Yes, yes. Uh, but I think it's more the dog, the dog's fault than the uh, sheep or the cows. I think if we didn't have the dogs, the sheep would probably stay close to the cows. Um, so we run them together the whole year, except for lambing. Uh, we will put them off by themselves to, to lamb. Um, I just, I've, it's, easier to manage the lambing aspect and you don't have to worry about cows trampling lambs and all that stuff if they get excited when they go to move or something. So, uh, but now like they've been back together for about two and a half weeks, I think Um, the lambs are getting, you know, pretty good size so they can, you know, hold their own against the cows. Um, And, but they pretty much kind of, yeah. I mean, sometimes I'll mob them up pretty tight and I'll keep them pretty tight in the paddock. But a lot of times I'll give the sheep like a couple paddocks and then the cows are in one paddock. So they've got the sheep typically have more room to run than the cows do with our system. Yeah, that's that's yeah. really a lot like what yeah. it works pretty good that way. Um, it's a lot like what we have um, when we move cattle. The, sh- the sheep kind of just go where they want. <laughs> yeah, They don't listen too well to me. When you're moving your ca- your cattle and the sheep, are you doing single wire? You're doing multiple wire, hot wires, or do you have paddocks um, with semi-permanent yep. fences? What kind of fencing do you have? Yeah, so all of our internal um, subdivisions are high tensile, three wire high tensile. Um, and then for like daily moves, we just use a single strand uh, step in post for the the cattle. Um, we can control the sheep, uh, pretty well with the single wire. Um, it's about 15 inches off the ground. It's the fourth, the fourth clip on the O'Brien's posts. If you're using those, uh, you've got to space your posts pretty close together. Oh like yes. 10 yards or less, maybe even seven, uh, keep the wire tight. And as long as the sheep don't get hungry, you're fine. Uh, you will probably have some fence jumpers. Um, you just get rid of those so they don't teach the rest of the flock how to get out. But you keep the wire hot, they'll stay. Um, but I don't really, except for lambing, I don't really set sheep fence up. Uh, we pretty much let the sheep have the entire paddock that the cows are in. Our paddocks are small enough that um, they're only getting 
well, it depends on where they're at, but you know, between six and maybe 15 acres max. And then the cows moving through there within a couple of days, anyhow. So does that make sense? So like the sheep get the larger area, the cows are confined to the single wire, you know, the poly wire, and then they're all out of that paddock within a couple of days. Oh, yes. On the sheep, you're just lambing once a year? Yes. Yep. We started lambing this year, I think May 10th, our first lamb was born and we're pretty much done. The most of it's done within, I would say 16 days. And then you'll have a few tapering off, but I would say the bulk of it, 75 to 80% of the lambing is done within 16 days, 16 to 18 days. Now I, I was shooting for May 1st, first with my use and, um, I find the ram the hardest animal to keep away from the females. <laughs> well, actually, last year we have one ram uh, that we pulled the rams out. We give them 35 days, and then we pulled them. And we had run one ram that somehow got back in with the flock, and he was in there for, I don't know, maybe another seven days. So we did have a few late lambs this year, and that's why. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Wasn't planned, but I guess we ended up with a few more lambs anyhow. So, we'll oh yeah, it. that that's always good. A few more. Well, we have our our last four questions yep. on our our podcast that we're going to ask every guest. That's the plan, at least. We'll see how it goes. So the first one's: What's your favorite grazing grass related book or resource website? Wow. Oh so hard to pick one <laughs> but I, i'll i'll try to do my best um my favorite grazing book would be uh kick the hay habit by jim garrish um it's a super practical book um really breaks down and lays out how to minimize hay feeding making hay and extend your grazing season so it's just chock full of really practical information and ideas um and jim garrish is a legend and oh yes he yeah, is it's probably my favorite book right now very good. What tool could you not live without on your farm? My Leatherman multi-tool. Um, couldn't live without it. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I use it yeah. probably 10, 10, 15 times a day. Uh, so, yeah, it's my favorite tool. What do you know now that you wish you knew when you started grazing? <sighs> I was thinking about this question and I was, I feel like everything. Well, I started grass farming when I was like 12 years old. So like I knew nothing, you know, I was 12 and I started with uh, grazing some dairy goats and poultry and you know, that kind of thing, just small. Uh, so I mean, there's so much and there's so much I've learned even just the last couple years and there's so much to know so it's like hard to pinpoint one thing but let me just say maybe like one thing i think that has really i've really learned um in the last like three to four years is ian mitchell Innes talks about uh grazing the energy or grazing for performance and i think that's something i've really uh, learned is how to look at the cow and focus on the performance side of the animal instead of looking at the, the landscape and being way more comfortable leaving a lot more residual grass behind. Whereas I would have been too concerned about wasting grass. You're never wasting grass. You're never oh, yeah. wasting grass because a, 
you're leaving something to cover the ground. And right now we need to keep the ground covered or we're going to lose all our moisture. Right. Um, and you got to feed the soil life. And two, maybe your next rotation around the cows will eat it. Like you never, you know, I've seen that happen where you leave something behind and you come back 30, 45 days later and the cow likes that for some reason that time around. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, just learning how to look at the cow, look for signs of performance and keep them performing. That's how you're going to make money on grass. Um, if you focus too much on trying to landscape with your cows or your sheep, you're probably going to lose money. Uh, you're probably not going to have animals that are going to do very well. Um, especially when you're doing what we're doing and we're, you know, trying to put a quality grass finished beef on the market. Uh, super important. So that would be one thing. I mean, I could probably talk about that for 20 minutes, but that would be uh, something I've really learned in the last couple of years, how to, how to manage that and keep the cows moving and just. Uh, yeah. Very important. Yeah. Where can others find out more about you? Sure. Uh, so the uh, farm website, Bentry Farms, uh, it's, it's bentreefarmsok.com. That's the farm website. Uh, if people are interested in ordering beef or uh, getting some of our products, um, we're on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, Bentry Farms OK is our handle there. Um, I'm on Instagram personally. I don't do too much with that other than post pictures of the baby and <laughs> fun stuff here and there. Uh, that's just Jonathan Kilpatrick. Um, so yeah, that's probably where you can, that's probably the best places you can get in touch with me or find out more about us. Wonderful. I, I appreciate this, Jonathan. I think it's been a great conversation. This is the grazing grass podcast, helping you produce forages for livestock grazing. Be sure to join our community at grazinggrass.com. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I know I did. Thank you for listening, and if you found something useful, please share it. Share it on your social media. Tell your friends. Get the word out about the podcast. Helps us grow. If you happen to be a grass farmer and you'd like to share about your journey, go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest. Fill out the form, and I'll be in touch. We appreciate your support by sharing our episodes and telling your friends about it. You can also support our show by buying our merch. We get a little bit back from that. Another way to support the show is by becoming a Grazing Grass Insider. Grazing Grass Insiders enjoy bonus content, monthly Zooms, and discounts. You can visit the website, grazinggrass.com, click on support, and they'll have the links there. Also, if you haven't left us a review, please do. It really helps us as people are searching for podcasts. And I was just checking them, and we do not have very many reviews for 2024. So if you haven't left us a review, please do. And until next time, keep on grazing grass.